0: When the vice president first asked me to help on the task force with different tasks, uh, I asked the president what he expected from the task force and how I can best serve him and the task force. Uh, what the president asked is that all of the recommendations that we make be based on data. I feel sad for anybody has to stand in that, um, that task force and practically validate what's coming out of the president's mouth except for an occasional uh, clarification. To me, it's never been a question of whether or not we reopen. It's not reopen or not reopen. You have to reopen. It's how you reopen.
1: Hello, and welcome to Trump Cast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Trump Cast has inevitably become Putin Cast at times. Also, Republican Senate Cast, ManafortCast, Cast, Manafort Cast, and Stone Cast, because the sicko Trump syndicate contains multitudes of enablers, butlers valets, factotums, and Mike Pence. And today, we're doing Kushner cast because Trump's cadaverous son-in-law, Jared, is one of the syndicate's biggest hollow-eyed, Thorazian-deprived madmen. And worse still, he always seems to wheedle his way into having actual power. What the Harvard cheat and felon's son, Jared, inevitably calls his portfolio really seems to be carte blanche to consort with smug, vicious little princes like himself, including one Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia, who ordered, you'll remember, an American resident, sawed up and torn limb from limb. And now once again, Jared Kushner is aligned with American death, this time the nearly 76,000 deaths from coronavirus that Jared has described as a great success story. Though as head of a weird self-serving speakeasy of a task force, Jared seems mostly to have hoovered up hydroxychloroquine, cut with Lysol, and FaceTimed with some private sector cronies and come up with bad self-serving ideas that went nowhere. I have a little template for a lead to any piece you want to write about Jared Kushner and the coronavirus, they pretty much always go like this. When some superstar expert who knows all about pandemics reached out to Kushner with many, many life-saving technologies, some reality star answers the phone and then uh, somehow drops the call. So to do it as a Mad Libs, it could be something like this. When Dr. Jane Barley, PhD, JD, former Surgeon General, head of NIH, president of MIT and developer of the polio vaccine, reached out to Jared Kushner to save lives with 10 million masks and a coronavirus vaccine, Tila Tequila passed on the call to Arabella, 8, Kushner's oldest child, who let the call drop. Oh, Jared. May you live up to your father's illustrious legacy and head down to the same Alabama prison camp where Charlie did his time. Here to talk about Kushner's dangerous failures with this pandemic is Andy Kroll. He is Rolling Stone's D.C. bureau chief, and his piece out this week is called Absolute Clusterfuck, Inside the Denial and Dysfunction of Trump's Coronavirus Task Force. Andy, welcome to Trumpcast.
0: It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So I just devoured your piece about everybody's favorite villain, Jared Kushner. Dave Eggers in his novel represents Kushner as a doll that an Ivanka figure drags around, a kind of just spooky doll. If only he were just a spooky doll. Instead, he's got his hands sort of on various wheels of various ships all of which seem to be headed toward icebergs. Tell us about what you discovered in talking to some of the scientists who were confounded by Jared Kushner's approach to the pandemic.
0: Jared has this way of materializing in the middle of every major issue or crisis that is going on in this administration over the last three years. No matter where you are, you see a photo and there's Jared. He just pops up in the corner of the room or there's Jared. Who finds himself seated at the head table with all the decision makers who are eminently qualified and should be there, and then him who is there because he is this president's son-in-law. Yeah. This is absolutely the case with this coronavirus response effort. You had almost two tracks underway, you know, as I discovered in my reporting. You had the people who were charged with, who had trained, who had been hired inside the government to lead a response to this insane pandemic, who had written plans and done research studies and built all the lines of communication with the states and the cities and the industry that we needed to try to grapple with something like the coronavirus. They predicted this might happen, and they had a playbook in place to deal with this. And then in the middle of all this comes Jared. Mm-hmm. Jared picks his own team of volunteers from McKinsey and from other sort of technocratic consulting firms, a friend of his from college. He even at one point tried to enlist a healthcare company that he had once been an owner of to help design a website for the federal government to respond to this.
1: That's Oscar, right? Oscar Health.
0: That's exactly right.
1: So I'm an Oscar subscriber. And I'm sort of interested in how Oscar gets in the picture, because that is one of the more sinister suggestions that Kushner, and there are other suggestions of this, but that he might have been outright profiteering on the pandemic. But before we like make that extreme charge, just explain to us what happened with Oscar.
0: So Jared establishes his beachhead at the Health and Human Services Department inside the administration, he kind of commandeers part of this response again either getting in the way of or duplicating the work that's already being done and that was supposed to be done to respond to this crisis he puts his team together and one of the things he wants to do is have a website built that would help people understand you know do they have potentially have the coronavirus if they do how can they get tested Some states have done this. Massachusetts has actually done this pretty well. Mm -hmm. You know, just a, a sort of first line of defense to give people basic information so they're not just at home sitting on their hands freaking out. What ends up happening is Oscar Health gets tapped by HHS to develop this website. And again, this is a company that Kushner had once owned. He didn't own at the time, but he had a direct financial interest in in the past. And obviously, still had his connections to, he knew, clearly knew plenty about him after he joined the administration. And Oscar Health starts designing a website for the federal government. Now, when news of this started to leak out, the administration cut it off. They said, you know, Oscar, we don't want your code. We don't want your website. But it was clear that Jared Kushner in his role as this sort of shadow czar Mm
1: -hmm. for the
0: coronavirus response decided that, well, he would just go with who he knew. And in this case, someone he used to own. And so he went to, you know, and his people went to Oscar Health. Just one example of many, many examples of the kind of profiteering or the cronyism that has been, you know, a hallmark of this response, basically from the start.
1: Two-part question. Since everything is a family affair with the Trump Kushners, it was Josh Kushner, right? The said to be the good Kushner, but who knows, (laughs) who has remained, you know, has a high-profile wife in Carly Kloss and also, I think, campaigned and gave money to Beto O'Rourke. And so we're to believe maybe that he's uh, on the right side of things, marched in the Women's March. But is Josh Kushner's involvement in Oscar part of the reason that Trump and maybe Pence didn't want didn't want Oscar because Josh was the face of Oscar for a while or or maybe the because he, he's still running the VC firm. I think of it as belonging to him. I mean, is there any way they saw this as like a blue shop that shouldn't be involved in their incredibly partisan project?
0: There is the possibility of that. I mean, I, I wouldn't rule it out myself. I think that based on all the reporting I've, ta- I've done, the people I talked to, the best impression I got was like a lot of things that this administration sort of half does. And then once anyone with a conscience catches wind of it, Mm -hmm. they say, whoa, 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 like you're not going to like go hire the company that you used to own or like your brother's shop to your, but you know, something your brother invested in to, you know, be the face of the administration's response to coronavirus. Like this is crazy, but you know, this, this, Task force and Jared's sort of shadow version of that, as it's been called, his own kind of parallel response team. It was so haphazard and so chaotic, so many mixed signals that, you know, this scheme with Oscar kind of got far enough along that they had written some code, that they had been going, sent people up to Washington, or rather, sent people down to Washington from New York to work on this. Um, and then it just kind of died when, you know, again, anyone with a reasonable sense of what, you know, <laughs> what this, this administration should be doing caught wind of it.
1: And it's not like, it's not like Kushner keeps this quiet because I mean, he has some idea and that he can, you know, get XYZ on the phone. And they're sort of the usual startup crowd of millennials or whatever group he's in. But the, you know, the kind of just the New York, I don't know, New York startup scene, Silicon alley, venture capitalists. And I think I learned that, Oscar coders did a pretty good job whipping this thing up over the weekend. I mean, the other weird thing is there are people who do seem ready to help. It's just that their efforts, including some of these medical professionals, just keep getting thwarted. It's like, Kushner drops their calls. They have no idea who they answer to. He turns to, you know, flits around to another project that excites him or another opportunity to flatter his father-in-law and then leaves them hanging. This includes epidemiologists, pandemic experts, public health officials, the kind of people that that we need. And then there's this crazy self-defeating or nation-defeating streak in Kushner where he shuts them out, exactly the people he would need
0: The part of that that blew me away in that vein was when Jared reached out to Carly Kloss's dad. So Carly Kloss, as you pointed out, is Jared's brother's wife, Mm -hmm. and so this would be his brother's wife's father, Mm -hmm. his brother's father-in-law, who is a physician. And Dr. Kurt Kloss posts in a Facebook group for emergency room doctors that he's looking for ideas on how to respond to this crisis and what the uh, White House should do. And he says in there that he has a direct line to the White House. And what we end up discovering is right, this leads back to Jared. And so you're Jared Kushner. You have the, in theory, might of the federal government at your disposal. Mm -hmm. You have experts in every federal agency who, again, have planned for this and trained for this and worked out all of the different angles and possibilities in this. You know, Jared Kushner probably could have even gone to people in the Obama administration who dealt with H1N1 mm-hmm. or Ebola and said, hey, look, I know we haven't always been friends, but help me out here. Instead, he goes to his brother's father-in-law and his brother's father-in-law posts on a Facebook group. And like that just, it's a small thing, but it also encapsulated for me how this White House operated. And I I still can't get over it. It still blows my mind. We continue to see it to this day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it either because, I mean, did Jared just think to himself, wait a second, I know a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Jared Kushner knew one doctor that he could refer this to. And it's not like that doctor had any experience, but I mean, any experience with pandemics. And then he went to his Equally inexperienced um, hive mind on a Facebook group. It's just, it's so low level. And you just think of a Dr. Fauci or Dwayne Caneva, who you talk about in this piece, who are just sitting there, you know, face palming to see that kind of thing happening. So tell us about this group that called themselves Red Dawn, these doctors and epidemiologists that were early to the panic over the pandemic and knew that action had to be taken.
0: So this was a group of people that had, in a lot of cases, met each other when they worked in the Bush White House. And the Bush White House, for all its failures, still had a pretty strong commitment to dealing with pandemics, dealing with influenza pandemics, especially. And these people, you know, came up with a... Big national comprehensive pandemic response effort in 2007, 2006, 2007, and continued to follow up and do these one year later assessments. Uh, These people were so good that they were held over even for a brief period of time in the Obama White House, because as we know, Obama uh, dealt with the H1N1 pandemic in the first couple of months Mm -hmm. after taking office, on top of everything else that they were dealing with uh, at the beginning of 2009. So these were alums. These were pandemic experts, serious scientists who basically had this informal email list, if you will, you know, the the wonkiest listserv that may mm. have existed, yeah. where they kind of tracked uh, pandemics around the world. They kept in touch with each other, even as they scattered to different jobs in the federal government, in the states, in academia, and so on. They The Red Dawn reference is to obviously the B-movie from the 1980s. Uh, with Patrick on- The
1: only thing I disagree with in the piece is that letter B. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Red Dawn. Anyway.
0: I got it. Wolverines. <laughs> I got an email from a reader yesterday, actually, who made that exact same point. He said, yeah. I liked your story, but... You you are a freaking millennial because you've lost me a B movie. Any movie with John Milius, the director, I think, and Patrick Swayze, by its definition, is not a B movie. So you know, we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. Yeah. But yeah, so they liked that movie and they would, you know, yell Wolverines apparently in the halls of the White House when they worked for Bush. But they started tracking this pandemic really early on. I mean, this is what they do. They nerd out on this stuff. So that, so even going to early January, they are seeing the data coming out of China, the stories coming out of China. One of the scientists in there, Carter Meeker, that I referenced, he did something really interesting. He, you know, again, in the the Department of Total Nerdiness, Mm -hmm. he started looking online for data about the Diamond Princess, this cruise ship Mm -hmm. that was docked, you know, basically a floating pandemic itself that was docked in Japan. Mm -hmm. He found a report by Japan's, essentially their CDC, that had kind of measured the outbreak on this ship. And he did some back of the envelope math and figured out that this virus, if it came to the United States, was going to be bad, really bad. And we had to get ahead of it and we had to do it now. And you you see in these emails, you know, the, the level of urgency and the fear and the calls to action sort of increasing with each message. And, and the people on this chain, you know, Dwayne Keneva, as you pointed out, is a Chief Medical Officer for the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, these, are, right. these are serious, high-ranking people.
1: They're not anti-vax, you know, people with doctorates in spirituality. No,
0: yeah. This isn't the uh, email that your aunt forwards along to you <laughs> that, you know, talks about, uh, you know, coronavirus being conspiracy theory or whatever. Yeah. These were legit scientists. And by the time we get to like late February, this chain has gotten the attention of the most senior people in the administration, the Surgeon General, Dr. Jerome Adams, people in the the tops of all the agencies, Health and Human Services, CDC, you name it. So they were warned. They knew what was coming. At least they had a a sense of what was coming from, in some cases, scientists in their own government and just didn't act. I mean, I, I note in the piece that, you know, a few days after Dr. Adams, the Surgeon General, starts, you know, getting looped in on all these warnings, he posted this terrible tweet where he's basically like, don't worry, you know, the coronavirus uh, is serious, but you're more likely to die from fried food and sitting on your couch mm-hmm. than you are from, uh, you know, exposure to this sort of thing. So they mm-hmm. were putting out these messages. And it was just so contradictory to what scientists were, were warning us at the exact same time.
1: Bringing up George Bush, because this was his a modification of his strategic plan for a flu pandemic. And then that became a part of Obama's strategy with H1N1, I was thinking that George Bush is sort of an interesting parallel for Kushner, because most of us thought he was underqualified. But at the same time, he surrounded himself with at least some old hands, um, some Donald Rumsfelds, and we may disagree with their politics, but at least they were smart and experienced, and they managed to kind of prop him up through this. But the other thing Bush had that Kushner didn't was just he didn't have the same death drive of the Kushner trumps. <laughs> so why in the world if you want to have victory written all over you, you know, you want to have the polio parades, you know, that they had in the 50s where they would hoist cured kids up on their shoulders. Mm-hmm. You want to have that that heroic idea that you vanquished this thing and you certainly don't want to have on your hands all kinds of dead Americans, right? Why in the world would Kushner and Co. not and Trump not see an opportunity to, you know, play father to the nation and get all kinds of credit out of it, you know, get that wartime boost. Instead, they went so quickly to this flailing posture that didn't seem to even serve the ends of Trump's re-election, which, you know, would seem to be the one thing that this crowd's invested in.
0: That, I feel like, is the great question that's at the middle of this whole disastrous, chaotic, corrupt response that we've seen.
1: Yeah.
0: I think that when, and hopefully this happens, there is a 9-11 commission-style report Hmm. that tries to get at the root of, like, what happened here? And why were we slow to respond? Where did things break down? What were the decisions that put us so far behind the curve that, you know, containment just wasn't even an option. It was all mm-hmm. about mitigation, slowing things down, you know, reducing the damage, that that question will hopefully get answered. Based on like what we've seen, what I've reported, what others reported, it looks like you have this sort of toxic mix of incompetence, a sort of distrust of the experts, which we've mm-hmm. seen throughout this administration, not just this response. You've had a gutting of certain agencies that would have otherwise been ready and ready to go mm-hmm. in a like the cdc in a moment mm-hmm. like this and i think at the end of the day i would even push the responsibility even above kushner because i could see kushner making that argument you know that this could be a chance for you know, some kind of wartime victory i would push it up to trump who i think just you know we we've seen this time and time again he doesn't like bad news just want to hear bad news his aides around him have worked to keep bad news off of his desk you know I think in one case in the Bob Woodward book literally snatching pieces of paper off of the resolute desk in the Oval Office so that the president didn't see them
1: and making those vision boards or whatever like because he's a visual person so showing right. him pictures with the with the abs and chest of Rocky or whatever
0: <laughs> right um, <laughs> right right exactly and it, it, there's just a sort of magical thinking yeah that starts at the top and obviously tr- works its way down works its way into people like Kushner throughout the White House and the administration. And I mean, in some ways, I think you still see it to this day. You see Pence talking about, well, we're going to shut down the task force and just focus on reopening the economy, mission accomplished. We've heard that one before. And I think all of these things came together in a way that that not just prevented the administration from trying to take this and turn it into a wartime victory, but the thought never even occurred to them. Mm -hmm. The thought of like, how can we rally the country and pull people together, and create this sort of, you know, a nationalism in a way, which obviously we know this president has some affinity toward, they just never, just never seemed to come under the radar. I think you and I are both surprised by that. And I know plenty of people are. Yeah. When that option was on the table, they didn't take it and instead went for the option that is quite possibly one of the worst outcomes, the worst combination of um, you know, approaches and philosophies in this, and again, I don't, I don't think we'll know entirely why until we're on the other side of this thing mm-hmm. and can really pick through the ruins and understand what happened.
1: Yeah, you know, your mention of a nine eleven style commission reminds me that I think right before the inauguration, Tom Nichols was on this show saying he thought there should be a nine eleven style report that would be not a, you know, Mueller investigation style, you know, with indictments at the end, but just what happened with the Russian interference? What exactly happened? What could we... So we can prevent it next time, so we can understand how Russia hacks elections. And then that rolled into an investigation because we got the firing of Comey and other things that showed it to be more sinister than it had originally looked with more connection to Trump. And I wonder if just you know, the need to find out what happened. Every time we try to find out what happened, and even those of us who've opposed Trump all this time think it can't be what it looks like. It can't be that those ventilators that were suddenly, you know, taken away from Colorado, where the governor had negotiated for them himself, um, were really stolen from one governor so they could be given to a Republican that they favored. I mean, just it can't be that that happened. So usually a 9-11 style commission would look into, oh, how did these kind of fail safes go wrong? And, you know, that's a very detailed account of how well-intentioned people made mistakes and missed details. But this is what it is when you have looters in the White House and who are not just yeah, it's not just incompetence, it's malevolence. And I think, you know, I think that's what your piece reveals is that for whatever reason, this kind of destructiveness and self-destructiveness really kicked in. And this is where we've started to hear people call, you know, full-throated call that the Trump crowd is has a death wish or is a kind of death cult because they've minimized the deaths from coronavirus. They've called this thing, you know, impeachment by another name, a pandemic. You know, you hear people on that OANN network saying some huge number of them will refuse to take a vaccine, but will continue to take the discredited treatments for it. I would prefer to be dead, is the statement that I hear in those polls. It's astonishing.
0: There's one thing that I've picked up on. You've lived in Washington for a little more than a decade, and there's a collective amnesia in the Capitol that I've come to find really disturbing and preventing us from tackling these huge problems that, I mean, man-made or otherwise, that you know come up fairly regularly. I think about it in terms of the 2016 election. I too wish that there had been. A, a kind of commission that had been done after the election, because I also wish that the commission had looked at the role of media
1: yeah, and yes.
0: you know, how, whether it's the coverage of the emails, whether it's the coverage of Russia and so on, how, you know, how that actually unfolded in what we can do better next time. And I think that this, the response to this pandemic, and you can put the media in there too, if you want as well, cries out for that kind of yeah. commission. The thing I worry about is just, even between now and 2000 and the mid-2000s, whenever the 9-11 Commission report came out, early to mid-2000s, we're in such a different information environment now. You know, a a, esteemed, sober-minded panel of former lawmakers and experts could come together and investigate the facts and put out this huge report, have hearings on it, people would cover it, and we would have a sort of agreed-upon set of facts and some accountability for what happened. I'm trying to imagine... Even if that were to happen with the coronavirus response, like would 30% of the country just say it's fake yeah. or say that it's, you know, uh, the work of people who are out to get the president? I mean, I, I can't imagine Sean Hannity would be jumping to cover this thing if it laid out a lot of the things and more that we know, which is, you know, that a Labradoodle. Uh, trainer was hired to be a senior person at HHS or that Jared Kushner looked to his brother's father-in-law and so on and so on.
1: That's a a really good point. And it seems like the touchstone there is the Mueller report, which, you know, I quote this, even though it now seems like ancient history on this show all the time. But Adam Schiff made the point to Congress that nobody disputed the completely hair-raising facts in the Mueller report. I mean, some people admitted they'd barely read it, but... They weren't going in there. There was no one going in with some fine tooth comb and saying, no, the carpet was red on that day or <laughs> this, you know, this guy, this name is misspelled. They couldn't find one single factual error in it. You know, even the Mark Meadows, even the, the hysterics on the right. And yet they had decided, as Adam Schiff said, it was OK. And if they had no factual complaints about it, then all they were going to do is say, this was a conspiracy. And we think what Trump did, as documented in this, you know, multiple uh, episodes of obstruction of justice was just okay. That's what you have to do to win. And... Um, I think that Schiff, their silence meant Schiff closed the case on that. Now, after the 9-11 commission, there were still people that said jet fuel can't melt melt steel beams. And they were still writing stories about 9-11 being an inside job. But they were, I think, as David Frum said, those outsiders were kind of sequestered until they sort of burned their way out. But after something like this, I absolutely agree with you. Anyone who reads a piece like yours or even like a big sweep up commission report in a couple of years will either not read it, vaguely decide, well, if this is what Kushner did with Oscar or this is what happened with the PPE that didn't get distributed, that that's just okay because that's what a Republican had to do to win. Or they'll just delete it from their minds altogether and not take lessons from it, which goes to your amnesia case. And it is true that we don't. We just we can't we can't even agree on that forensics or a trial or experts is a way to get at the truth that, you know, an adversarial trial or a, an FBI investigation into Brett Kavanaugh an adversarial trial like uh, in the Senate, a real trial of Trump. We can't agree not only on specific truths, but on the methods for arriving at truth's which is really clear in your piece. I mean, you have it's absurd how experienced and knowledgeable the people you have are issuing these warnings and how ridiculous the efforts to shrug them off by Trump's circle.
0: And, you know, one thing that I would even add to that is talking about, you know, hearing you talk about the people who either shut out the facts or don't trust the experts or don't think that the science says what it says, even though this is what peer reviewed science looks like, you know, the, we, we used to be able to say, or at least it used to feel like, you know, these anti-vaxxers or climate science denialists,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you name it, you know, they were kind of the fringes. They were the people who you know lurked in on 4chan or read Infowars or what have you. Yeah. And what it's felt like more and more is that there are actually those kinds of people in Congress and in state legislatures, in some cases in the administration, who take these same kinds of positions. I mean, I've written about this before. There is a quote that I come back to all the time, which was a quote in a New Yorker piece in the 2010s, maybe 2015, 2014, 2015. It was a story about the House Freedom Caucus. Oh, yeah. Remember the House Freedom Caucus? It was sort of the fringe, blow everything up um, group of hardcore conservatives and libertarians. Justin Amash,
1: right, came out of that.
0: Amash came out of that. He was one of the founders. Jim Jordan, also a member of that. And in this piece about the House Freedom Caucus, the writer quotes a Republican member who wasn't in there talking about how crazy these people are, how crazy they are, and also how... The calls that this congressman had been getting to his office over the years, you know, it used to be like one conspiracy theorist for every nine people raising issues about whatever's going on in the district and how that balance had shifted. And now it was just people calling in all the time with crazy stuff that made no sense. And that member of Congress was Devin Nunes.
1: Wow. Who, you
0: know, Devin Nunes now is in some ways the face of some of these alt theories about
1: absolutely
0: Russia or the 2016 election, the intelligence community, and so on and so on.
1: Yeah, that is why I love this expression, common sense gun laws, because the idea of who owns the truth and owns science you know that it, it's it, you're setting the bar too high basically to ask that uh climate deniers read the science <laughs> there's just too much believe science is it's too much but it's not the interest in data that seems to have changed. It's this common sense thing where Devin Nunes, the wonderful memory. I, I want to look back at that piece that where Devin Nunes in 2014 or 15 can say, God, this is bullshit. Who are these lunatics? And then a few years later, sounds like one of them. Like what what is the Devin Nunes at night? Or, you know, what does his brother say when he's muttering that stuff? You know, we, we all run into people now who lurch into that territory on whatever axis. Someone told me recently that her cousin had read that Hillary had killed Joan Rivers for some reason because she had some secret about Hillary's emails. I don't it was one that I hadn't followed. That's a new and, one. Wow. Right? And that was where the shoe dropped for her on this thing. <laughs> and and that's a sane, college-educated person. So something must be incredibly charismatic about these views to have people throw over their common sense. And where you really see that, where you really see that they're doing this, that, that the embrace of this ir- unreason is at a cost to them is in this idea that I'm not going to wear a mask. You know, mm-hmm. where I'm not going to take ordinary precautions to protect my health and the health of people around me. Just... It, you know, it's like there's a restaurant in Texas, I don't know if you saw this, where the the pre- the restaurateur who's opened the pl- reopened the place has outlawed among his employees and customers the wearing of masks. You know, it's wow, like Wow, I every, hadn't
0: seen that. He, the, he says you you can't wear a mask if you're you fired.
1: You're fired if you wear a mask and Unbelievable. something like we don't accept masks, you know, on customers cuz whatever. We feel like it wrecks the experience. You know, it, it feels like, and this is where I get to common sense, it feels like they have putting a sign on the door saying, we proudly on our salad bar don't use sneeze guards. And, you know, it's part of our awesome outlaw libertarian side that we think sneeze sneeze guards are part of the nanny state or whatever. That the like absence of hygiene is now a signal to what a cool Freedom Caucus freedom rider you are.
0: That gets back to your death cult point, Earlier as well, which is like, how far will someone take this? The narrative will they take their belief about the nanny state, or the belief that the Democrats have somehow perpetrated the pandemic, or made it worse, or are using it as a bludgeon against Trump? To to borrow from Sean Hannity's formulation, the pandemic has been a, a you know it's a horrible tragedy, and it is you know such a revealing period for the Trump presidency and sort of as i put it in the piece bringing together in one place all of the worst traits and characteristics and inclinations and impulses of Trump and his people but it's also been a fascinating window into how far some people will take the narrative how yeah. far they will take the belief you know they're they're almost like their sort of political identity of like you know if that that i'm aligned maybe with this president or with this party and i will i will prove my loyalty even if it means i'm not wearing a mask even if it means making my own customers or employees not wear a mask i didn't i didn't believe that it would go this far. And I still think it's a small minority of people, but even a small minority is startling to see.
1: And it is worth, you know, reminding ourselves that those protesters represent such a small group that hundreds of millions of Americans have submitted to something we've never done before in the form of this lockdown. And that those places flying the eagle flag and saying that they hate masks um, aren't getting customers. You know, we had Juliet Cayenne on the uh, 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 on the show the other day, and they've introduced a new component to the Waffle House Index that tells you how bad an emergency is how many Waffle Houses have closed. Now there's a new how many Waffle Houses have opened, but how few customers they have.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's so
1: good, right? It feels like the immune system of the American people is rallying in some ways to disinformation when, you know, it's all fun and games to talk about the steel beams. It's just, it, it, you know, it's it's old news. You know, it's a repository for your anger about Dick Cheney or about the federal government. And it's it seems fairly innocuous, just doesn't have as many consequences as, you know, but when it gets down to don't wear masks, I mean, you know, I read my horoscope every week, but I don't turn to astrology to help me in a crisis, right? Like this, I I wouldn't count on it to keep me alive. And I feel like even Americans who've humored Hannity may be saying at this point, this one isn't political. This one's about the cells in my lungs. The rubber has to hit the road somewhere. Yeah,
0: it it has broken through in a way. And and for, for all the for every story that I read about the business owner in Texas or watching those protests in my home state of Michigan in the state capitol where people are pushing cops and trying to get into the floor and carrying um, you know AR15s or whatever those were, yeah, I'm reminded at the same time that sixty some percent of people in Michigan say we think Governor Whitmer is doing the right thing. She's exercising caution. We want to be safe. And so I do try to keep those things in mind. Though the fringe is always fascinating. There's always something larger about the culture happening at the fringe. The other thing, too, I'd say is just, you know, when I talk to some of these scientists that I that I mentioned in the piece, they make the point that this pandemic would have been a massive undertaking and unimaginably complex effort for any president. Mm-hmm. And Barack Obama did not get everything right with H1, N1. Or Ebola,
1: mm-hmm.
0: though obviously we didn't have a, a worldwide pandemic with Ebola in the, on the level that we have now. That said, you cannot underestimate all of the ways that this administration has defied the science, has put personal interest mm-hmm. over public safety in the detail. I mean, I wrote this piece and I thought to myself, well, you know i've written a piece the times has written a piece the, many pieces the post many pieces all of these we were all covering this issue there cannot be that much more to be done and then more stuff just keeps coming up by the day it's i mean that and that is why i think that you know whether everyone would believe it a com, you know a commission report 911 commission style report about this response is needed because there's just so i mean f- For all that's been publicly reported, there's probably just as much that is hiding in email accounts and you know meetings where there weren't minutes taken, and you know deep into the bowels of the bureaucracy and the White House. And we got to know what happened. One to judge whether to to take it into account about reelecting this president, two to make sure no one does this again in the future.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Last question for you. Back to Kushner. So. Right after, again, right around the inauguration, I talked to Joey Ito, the former head of the MIT Media Lab. And Joey said, and I I didn't like this at all at the time, that he thought Trump was like a punk president, a punk election, that he was like, he was the sex pistols, right? And that he was kind of, he had hacked, he had hacked the election, the electoral process. And like, you know, whether it's true or not, when Cambridge Analytica said, you know, you really only need, it sounded like kind of tipping point thinking, you only need to kind of get in the heads of 70,000 voters. um, And uh, once you do that with disinformation in advantageous states, you, you know, press that button and the whole thing turns red and you get your guy in office. Just that kind of thinking that hackers kind of have. And and Kushner and Oscar was supposed to hack healthcare and this whole thinking of like you can disrupt everything and 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 in fact the more expertise you have the more experience you have the worse because then you're entrenched in the old ways of doing things i even years ago sat with someone at columbia journalism school and said God, there's got to be better ways of doing this, you know, now that we have the internet. And um, and he said, there, you know, there's a lot to be said for the things that can be done in institutions that can't be done, you know, other places. And that turning to Oscar to solve this instead of the NIH-Oxford University partnership, to academics, to people who work on vaccines all the time, to all the people you interview in your piece— the amount of of dis, disrespect—I was going to say disrespect, but contempt for institutions, for credentialed, experienced, old hands at this—the same thing we saw with the public servants, the state Dep- in the State Department and elsewhere who testified during the impeachment, just. Wow, this person really understands Ukraine. It turns out Ukraine is not a meme for Fox News. It is an actual (laughs) country with needs. And it helps to have lived there and studied it and become an area expert. And, you know, you don't say you know more about this than I do. And that seems to be true with with epidemiologists, and it, that's the interesting revelation. And I think Kushner's going to this c- Dr. Kurt Kloss, father of model, um, to you know c- consult his little clique was a way of trying to say, well, let's just hack this whole pandemic, you know, uh, like let's just think like Mark Zuckerberg or whoever or Steve Jobs and undo this. And my guess is that way of thinking. Is going to be under a pall for a long time that people are going to want to try to do things right
0: one of the appeals to this story for me was that not only was there enraging and important evidence of how the administration had bungled this thing and gone to jared kushner's brother's father-in-law and enlisted friends from college or mckinsey volunteers just because they happened to work for mckinsey but had no experience whatsoever in procuring ppe or dealing with supply chains you know i wanted to balance that out with the stories of the scientists who did raise these warnings these people are basically anonymous they you know in the sense that like they they're not publicity seeking they you know probably weren't thrilled about all of their emails being uh, uh, written about by myself and others, even though they were sent to public officials, so they're perfectly you know gettable. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. But
0: the the federal government is filled with people like them who toil every day in obscurity to keep the country safe, to prepare us for situations like this one, and to help us understand what went wrong and to be better next time. At the heart of the Trump philosophy is this sort of you know the swamp. The deep state that the government is either uh, a failure or that it's filled with political hacks who just want to make President Trump look bad and, and take him down. And that's just not the case. That's not that's not what why people go into the government. Some of people work for the CDC or the NIH or HHS. I've talked to so many people for this story who worked in these agencies and who were scientists and who just didn't have any time for partisan affiliations, didn't care if you had worked for President George W. Bush or President Obama or now for President Trump. They just cared about the science and they cared about keeping people safe and they cared about the country. And I hope that in the coverage and especially in the ultimate story of this pandemic, that the people out there who maybe felt more distrustful of the federal government. That you know, and and perhaps egged on by Fox News or President Trump or just from, you know, their own general impressions, realize that there are these scientists out there who aren't getting rich, but do feel like they are serving their country. And if we listen to them, and we elevate them, as opposed to political appointees, and friends of friends from business or family, that we wouldn't have ended up in this situation. And we won't in the future if we heed their warnings and listen to them. And so that's one of those sort of big morals that I hope comes out of
1: all of this. I absolutely do too. Andy Kroll is Rolling Stone's DC Bureau Chief. It's so good to talk to you, Andy. Really, stay safe, as they say.
0: You do the same. I really appreciated it.
1: That's it for today's show. What did you think? We really rely on your support and we want to talk to you. I'm at page 88 on Twitter the show is at Real Cast, And then go over to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. Become a Slate Plus member. Today's your day. Plus members get all of Slate's podcasts ad free for only $35 for the first year. I-, I don't even know how little that is. You don't even have to give up a cup of diner coffee. And best of all, you'll be supporting our work in a time when a lot of journalism, including Slate's, is endangered. So go to Slate.com slash Trumpcast plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Richard Stanislaw. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.